Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy, presented by the Right Pack Radio Podcasting Network. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome to episode two of Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to your feedback regarding uh, not only the previous interview, but I also look forward to hearing from you regarding our guest for this episode, the founder of Lynn Acre Media. He is a voice actor and sports announcer. And you may have seen him quite a few times introducing uh, various events on HBO Boxing. Uh, this is Mark Fratto, who will be joining us. Really hope you guys are enjoying the show so far, and I look forward to your feedback, both um, via email or on the Podbean homepage for the show. I hope that uh, you guys give, uh, give the show a subscribe, a rate, and review. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to jump right in uh, with my discussion with Mark Fratto. Stay with us. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres, narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. Again, so glad that you guys could be here. I have to give a whole lot of credit to Facebook. I know that a lot of people like to um, kind of beat up on it, but I will go ahead and give credit where it's due because without Facebook, without uh, social media, I wouldn't have reconnected with so many people that I've known through all my different walks of life, especially someone that, that goes all the way back to grade school. Um, and this I'm talking about during my time from uh, second grade through fifth grade when I was in St. Mary's uh, Catholic School in, uh, in Wappingers Falls, New York. One of my constant bu uh, bus ride friends was Mark Fratto. And we were always, always chatting, always, you know, really good friends and everything during that period of time. Uh, when I switched schools and eventually moved to Richmond, that's when we uh, lost touch with each other. But like I said, thanks to the magic of social media and especially Facebook, uh, we've been able to reconnect. And not only were we able to reconnect, but I was able to see what Mark has been up to. And it turns out that a big part of what he's been doing is something that I had been had considered a dream of mine for almost my entire life. He was doing voiceover work. And not only has he gone on to thrive with the voiceover work, but he's also gone on to, uh, to do uh, in-arena announcing for various sports. And you may have seen him on HBO Boxing as one of as one of the ring announcers, uh, so it is my great pleasure to introduce to you during this uh, this great uh, three parter uh, launch day. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Mark Fratto. Mark, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, George. I'm feeling great here in New York City tonight, and I'm honored to help you launch your channel here and your your podcast, Excelsior Journeys. After all these years, you and I 
got to reconnect in New York uh, while you guys were still living here and, and I'm still here, of course. And then uh, now we're able to do this together. So it's been a long, long time since those rides to St. Mary's, Wapner's Falls Elementary School, but, uh, but I'm happy to see you. Also, sad week a little bit for HBO Boxing. HBO announced that it's going to get out of the boxing business and concentrate more on its uh, more profitable ventures like series and, and the different programming that it has outside of boxing. So um, besides that's, besides and that's such, a shame. Boxing, such a shame uh, too, like considering like all of the, all the great matches that has been on HBO boxing throughout all, throughout the years. Yeah. Know? A lot of people, they'll, they'll go back to, you know, some Ali fights and, and the Ward Gotti trilogy and uh, Tyson, you know, through the eighties the and nineties and, and others. Um, I've been fortunate to be on HBO, HBO Latino, and uh, certainly part of some undercards for some big HBO pay-per-views where Michael Buffer would announce the main events, and, and those have been fun. Um, you know, but but for us, the future is now, and the future is uh, for my company and I, social media for sure. We're doing a, a Facebook series um, with Facebook and Everlast as our partners for mm -hmm. boxing and MMA. and uh, I do a number of ESPN fights, you know, uh, month to month and, and year to year for Golden Boy Promotions and others. We do some CBS Sports Network boxing. Uh, and I venture over to the Showtime side and do some uh, some Showbox and uh, and some Showtime Championship boxing as well. Uh, and have a great time doing that. Boxing is relatively new uh, as a, you know, as a, a one of our business verticals for uh, for my company. But. We're having a good time with it, but since you mentioned HBO Boxing, I had to give a little little requiem, you know, for uh, for HBO, given the week that we're recording this. It really is, and and uh, I I remember not only do do I remember a lot of those fights, but I also remember um, the great legendary nights series um, with I think it was Leah Schreiber um, doing the doing the narrating for that. Um, do you? It would be great if they had brought that back as well, like because I you know you were saying that. Uh, HBO is going to be planning on doing all these different, you know, sports, you know, documentaries as well, which obviously that's a great, you know, that's a great thing. But, you know, like I, I would love them to bring back, you know, Legendary Knights and, you know, who knows, like, you know, like if, you know, if you had a chance to, you know, take over for Leah, you know, and everything and maybe do something like that, that would be really cool. Well, he, he gets the benefit more so than I do, but, but, but somewhat of being able to kind of, work with both sides of the aisle there. So, you know, he of course has the great Ray Donovan series on Showtime, but he's also the voice of so many HBO sports uh, programs, including um, the 24 seven series, which would always preview the mega events that HBO would have coming down the pipe. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, Canelo Golovkin or, you know, just all, all the great uh, of late Canelo Golovkin, but all the great big fights, the pay-per-views, uh, Liv Shriver was able to, you know, Still make those Ray Donovan checks, but also get those HBO checks. So absolutely, there's there's a lot of benefit there. A lot of benefit. A lot of Americans could learn from right now. You know, yeah, why very, very true. Cut off your nose to spite your face, or why limit yourself, or burn a bridge when you don't have to. That's that's a great point. Now you said before that uh, you were working for Golden Boy. That's um, Oscar De La Hoya, right? Yeah, that's Oscar De La Hoya's company. Um, you know, Oscar's the he's the owner and president, and then. There's several layers, uh, so I've been fortunate enough to uh, do probably 20-something of their events over the past three years, uh, which has been a good time. Um, this podcast will, uh, I think, maybe launch after my next two events in California. I have one next week in Orange County and then one in a couple weeks in, uh, in Indio at Fantasy Springs where they have, uh, they have a lot of their fights. Those are ESPN fights. But like a lot of promoters, they've gone different directions looking for different outlets and different revenue sources for their content, you know, showcases for their athletes. So they've started a Facebook series. They actually have a Facebook fight tomorrow night. Uh, their third of uh, five, uh, five card series with Facebook, uh, them and another promoter from New Jersey main events partnering on that. Um, our fight night live series kind of, uh, at a slightly lower level, kind of like a, you know, maybe a single A, double A, maybe a little bit of triple A, not quite the majors. Right. Uh, we've done 19 fights with Facebook so far. We're looking forward to, uh, to our second season of 24. That's awesome. Uh, you know, which is, which is great. I mean, uh, to see a platform like Facebook value the last true reality content, which is live sports. 
You know, right. The, the last real reality shows are live sports because even reality shows are scripted and, and uh, you know, we know they're heavy on drama, but that's because they're being produced. And told exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. You don't really get that sort of, uh, that sort of attention to storylines, you know, like with boxing and everything. It's all just there. You don't get the extemporaneous knockouts with Snooky, you know, but, that's, it's, pri- that's but it's primal. So, like it's, it's, you know, just gets you right, you know, right in the gut. Like whenever, when you're watching a great match and like anyone, anyone worth their salt, like watching, you know, like say like Hagler Hearns, you know, like from 85 and like, that's something like that, you know, like that would just like, you know, get anyone, you know, up and up and cheering. Yeah. That it would take a hell of a Jersey shore reunion or keeping up with the Kardashian show to make you feel <laughs> the way that you, you feel when you watch a Hagler Hearns or a Ward Gotti or, uh, you know, any of Tyson's great fights or, you know, oh, any, yeah. I don't want to make your audience feel like I'm one dimensional. You know, no, in fact, uh, that's actually um, something I wanted to, uh, before we go back to um, kind of, you know, go back to the time when you were really just getting getting started with all this, um, you had mentioned your company. Now, that is uh, Lineker Media, correct? Yeah, yeah, Lineker Media. It's uh, four years old at this point. We do a whole lot of TV production. Uh, we're involved with a lot of live events beyond just the production. Myself as a live sports announcer in stadiums and, and with a staff of uh, – of similar, similar minded, similar voiced uh, announcers. Uh, there's the voiceover aspect that you touched on early um, where we do some of that. And then um, I have a 15 year career rooted in college athletics, PR marketing uh, at University of Maryland, at St. John's University, West Point, and SUNY Geneseo State University of New York, which is where I went to school. So we maintain some uh, some PR clients as well, especially during March Madness. I'm at the Final Four, helping with the media operation. This will be my 11th or 12th one this year, which is awesome. Uh, and then at Thanksgiving time, Thanksgiving in Brooklyn at Barclays Center with the, the NIT season tip-off. We have Kansas coming in this year. We have Marquette. We have Louisville. And we definitely have another school. Tennessee is the other one. So uh, I only have to remember four, right? So right <laughs> so we got we got some you know some great schools coming in to uh enjoy the thanksgiving day parade and eat oh, some turkey in, in brooklyn for thanksgiving uh this fall that is incredible man that is so that is just so awesome just to hear you know like knowing knowing that you found this passion and then you were able to not only nurture it but thrive with it in such a great way that's it's something that um i think and i'm fairly sure that i can speak for my for my audience is going to be incredibly inspiring to them too. You know, just, you gotta just, keep, you know, keep at it. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and just uh, take a little trip back and let us know where did this inspiration come from? What was it that made you look over at, at you know, voiceover work and, um, and, you know, sports announcing and everything and just point to and just like that right there, that's what I wanna do. That's the path I wanna be on. Well, I always loved sports and I started out like a lot of, you know, like a lot of young youngsters as a ball player. I was a baseball player. We played uh, basketball. We played tennis. We played, uh, uh, I was the world's worst soccer player. So no soccer, <laughs> although I'm a soccer announcer now at Yankee Stadium, which is cool. Right. Uh, and no football. That was uh, uh, Eileen Fratto of 20 Wildwood Drive's preference. <laughs> um, definitely baseball, basketball, and some tennis. And later on, we all got into golf. My brothers and I, and my middle brother is actually the best golfer in the family, maybe my dad. But um, you know, there comes a time for every athlete, and I use that term very loosely when it comes to me. Uh, <laughs> you have to stop playing. You know, either they, they, you decide, or somebody tells you you're done. So, I mean, that's true of every athlete that's ever played any sport at any time. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I got to uh, when I got to high school, I was told by my baseball teammates who were on the basketball team that my basketball career was over and huh. I should contribute to the team and to our school spirit at Our Lady of Lords in Poughkeepsie by becoming the basketball announcer. And they oh, told wow. me that they wanted me to introduce them like uh, Michael Jordan's introductions by an announcer called Ray Clay in the old Chicago Stadium. So did they have the uh, they have the uh, what was it Emerson Lincoln Palmer? Um, yeah. Oh, no, no, that was the Alan Parsons project. Yeah, Alan Parsons. It was serious, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we still do that at, at the Brooklyn Cyclones sometimes. We still do that in New York City FC sometimes when uh, we need a big hit or we need a big uh, big moment, big opportunity or whatever. So so we do some of that. But um, even awesome. going back to our days, George, if you remember at St. Mary's, we always had those first Friday masses. Oh, yeah. Kind of 
first month of the year was the eighth grade and then all the way on down to the first grade whenever you got eight months and, in just and uh, just just as a real quick thing the uh, sure. big reason why those the first Friday masses are remembered so fondly with us with any uh, st. Mary's um, alum is that the, it's it sounds like it's what it is it was the first Friday mass and we got out early and so like I, I would say like we got out what like 12:30 sometimes it really kind of depended on if Father Hickey was leading the mass because he had he had this gift of getting through masses so quickly and so efficiently and yet you know like you weren't you didn't feel like um like you like anything had been skipped over or anything like that i mean sure he would shorten his homily you know quite a bit but uh but at the same time you know he got he got you in and out you know really quickly and when you're when you're a student um you know especially at the age range that we were um that was it was a nice bonus Father Hickey could cook. He was, yeah. he got it done. He got it. Yeah. And I remember as a, my, my altar boy career, he was also, you know, he was a perfectionist when it came to the mass. He didn't like us rushing around on the altar. Although mm -hmm. he, he would, uh, maybe father, I never heard father Hickey uh, quote John Wooden, but maybe he would say, be quick, but don't hurry. That was kind of his mantra when it comes to, when it came to the mass. But nice. when, when we all had our first Friday assignments, um, I, I was always picked as the reader. So I used to have to go over, you know, and practice the reading with uh, Sister Vincent, who was the, uh, the the kindly senior member of the Sisters of Charity of the Nun Squad at St. Mary's Wappingers Falls there. So wow. she used to take us over. We would practice the reading. So I got used to the microphone early. Uh, and then I'm not going to say like I had like a gift for it or talent for it, but I certainly had the aptitude for it and the familiarity from all those first Friday masses all the way through. Yeah, it seemed so, like they seemed like they were they had a. Um, that's also the same thing with uh, with migrate as well. Because I remember uh, for first communion, I remember Bill Hald did the first reading, and then I was tagged to do the second reading. And it just seemed to be like they just kind of always came around to us the same way that you know that they did with you. Yeah, I kind of we took the departure from the the lecturing toward altar boyhood a little later on at St. Mary's because we'd get um. You know, when we served masses and funerals, it was your chance to make a little bit of cash. And also, uh, you know, again, it was during the school day. So, you know, if you didn't particularly want to be in, uh, you know, history or science or uh, whatever on that day, then <laughs> you could you could jump out for a little bit and, uh, you know, of course, celebrate with the couple or, you know, grieve with the family, but um, but also make a little bit of cash and get out of school for a little bit. So um, we huh. did that, and then, then like I said, when I, I got to Lourdes, my basketball teammates, and then the Monsignor, who's now the, I think he's still the pastor at St. Mary's, said, okay, your basketball career and your altar boy career are ending right now. You're going to be our reader. You're going to do the morning announcements. You're going to announce basketball games oh, and wow. all that. So that's what I did. And then when I, when I went on to uh, SUNY Geneseo Division Three athletics program, I decided that, you know, I wanted my student job to – be as the sports announcer. I didn't want to sling mashed potatoes in the cafeteria or macaroni and cheese. I probably would have eaten most of it anyway. But uh, right, you know, then that that's what I wanted to do. So I went down to the athletic offices on the second day of school with my roommate. He was on the track team. We, he was looking for his coach, and I found uh, an office that I would work in. You know, that and similar for the next 19 years of my life. The sports information office, the media relations office, or communications office. Basically, uh, you're in charge of communications or PR for all the athletic teams and coaches and athletic programs and all that. Uh, all the announcing, all the stats, all the multimedia, now all the social media, um, all the traditional media relations, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I got involved in that as an undergrad. Uh, I turned my biology pre-med major into a communications major, which took some convincing on the home front when uh, I came home for my first summer. Uh, I started interning for teams like the Hudson Valley Renegades, and I wanted to get Division One college athletics experience. So I, I was an intern for Army athletics at West Point every summer, sophomore, junior, and senior years. Worked for the Renegades for a couple of years. I announced for the New Haven Ravens when I was a junior in my 21-year-old summer, which was a fun one in New Haven, Connecticut. Wow. And then uh, by the time I finished up at Geneseo, I had three summers at Army. I had four summers of minor league baseball. I had four years of announcing Division Three, and I was fortunate to go on and get a graduate assistantship at the University of Maryland 
where they put me to work right away while I was doing my graduate coursework. I was the sports information director for the softball team, then the field hockey team, then the field hockey and baseball teams. And then I started eventually traveling on the road and assisting with men's basketball. I was very fortunate to be there at a time where we went to two Final Fours in 2001 and 2002. We won the national championship and cut the nets down in 2002 and won nice. the AC by beating a very good Duke team in 2004. Uh, so I had a great time at Maryland. It was it was really a transformative experience in my life professionally. Led me to a spot at St. John's as senior associate athletic director at 28. Wow. Uh, I was the only one in the country. I used to say I was the only one in the country with black hair. <laughs> so that was uh, that was a pretty good distinction. Um, you know, and at St. John's, uh, I get to oversee a staff. We get to run communications for 17 sports. Played a lot of our men's basketball games at Madison Square Garden had really good women's basketball, baseball, and soccer. And I realized that um, it was going to be really, really hard to get those athletes and coaches their due in the New York Times and the New York Post and the Daily News and, you know, Newsday and, you know, those those top five national newspapers that covered our teams and that we were going to have to take things kind of to the digital street and do a lot of things ourselves to get the word out about those great teams and those great athletes and coaches and all the initiatives and the community service and the charity work that we were doing at St. John's. So we beefed up our website with written content. Then we beefed it up with books, you know, photo content. Then we started doing live audio broadcasts and audio streams just like this, mm -hmm. um, you know, for a lot of the different games. And then eventually we started doing one camera video streaming, then three cameras, then we upgraded to HD. And then we started doing games so well over the course of the time that we were there, we built a TV truck on campus. We wow. uh, enveloped our academic component by getting a professor on board to teach a class in, in remote production where they would have an academic component and then they, you know, pretty much give us uh, labor, you know, for, yeah. for spring and, and for fall and spring semesters to kind of help our, our workforce. We bring in some professional freelancers, combine them with students, and then we got to the point where we were good enough to be selling 85 games a year back to ESPN. And they'd be cutting us a check for the content. So I thought radical concept here. We should privatize it. And after yeah. nine, St. John's Lineker Media was born. And we took the model to the street there. And we still do some production for college, you know, colleges and universities and a lot of college campus or college uh, conferences and, uh, you know, uh, Division One athletics, Division Two athletics, Division Three athletics conferences. We do some championships and stuff like that. But now our model that we built at St. John's, which was used by us for about 85 games a year at first, and then Florida State, North Carolina, and uh, Clemson were kind of like on the forefront as well in the 30s, you know, just 30 or so, 35 right. games a year. We, we pioneered that. Now every college and university all across the country, all the D1s and some of the D2s and a lot of the D3s and some of the junior colleges, they're using variations of that model that we created. Uh, at St. John's to broadcast all their sports to all their different constituents, their alumni groups, their parents, you know, of, of athletes, uh, just general sports fans and, you know, anybody that supports the university. Now they, everybody has that vehicle at their disposal. And it was something that we kind of created at St. John's because I had a little bit more time because our basketball team wasn't as good and didn't keep me as busy as the Maryland Terrapins when we were going to those final fours. So that's it. Man, that's, that's awesome. Like, that's, uh, that's the three-minute version of how Lineker Media was formed and forged and, and where we're at today. Now, you notice, like I said, I've said, wow, you know, like quite a few times. Like, there, I really just am blown away by how you were able to make all of this happen. Like, this is, this is just incredible. Like, the way that you were able to take that and then just, you know, keep going step by step by step, almost like seeing what, you're going to need, you know, like right, you know, ahead of time and everything and, and being ready for it. Uh, well, it's just, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you noticed the steps, George, because, you know, um, sometimes, you know, when I talk to young, I make it a policy that any young person that gets in touch with me, they're, they're going to get an email back and usually they're going to get a phone call because, um, I'm in the car a lot <laughs> going right. to events. Yeah. You know, uh, when, when you and I first started talking about this, we tried to arrange it you know, some time for us to spend on the phone while I was driving to NASCAR at Pocono Raceway. Which we um, will be talking about as well. So yeah, yeah. We, we, we can talk about that too. But <laughs> because I'm in the car so much, you know, I try to, you know, 
I had, I've had great mentors, Geneseo, Army, every step along of Maryland, obviously, you know, and now every step along the way, I've had great mentors. So I try to do the same for young people and for young students. And something that you picked up on there was that, you know, there, there are steps. It's kind of one thing leads to the next, the next thing leads to the next. You, you go through, you know, there's no shortcut. You kind of go through your, you, you have your experiences, good and bad, professionally, personally. You know, it helps shape your perspective. It helps give you an understanding of what different people or different clients or different organizations are going to need. Right. And then you kind of take that next step and you just, you kind of do what you're doing and then extend and do it a little bit better or do it more, you know, or, or be more proficient with it or, or whatever. There's a lot of people, and I hope that if there's young people listening to this, there's a lot of people that give advice to the, the current generation of students or the people that have just graduated. And they say like, follow your dreams, follow your passion, you know, uh, and, and you'll never go wrong. I think that's a little bit incomplete. You know, I think it's good advice, you know, in a kind of abstract way or a broad sense, but it's kind right. of incomplete. Like it, it, it's kind of like you have to not just look at, at the thing that's, that's maybe 25 or 50 steps away. You got to figure out how you're going to take those first couple steps because they're going to lead you to the next couple steps and they're going to lead you to, you know, to, to the couple after that. Exactly. Um, yeah. You have to have the faith. You have to have the belief. You have to have the broad base of knowledge and you got to sharpen your skills and develop your tools along the way. But it's, it's step by step by step by step. It's not just following your dreams. It's figuring out what the next steps are, you know, that, that are going to help you in a concrete and practical way. You know, take those steps and then make, get to that spot way down the road. And, and it takes work. It takes, you know, it takes some focus and concentration. It takes determination. It takes failure. Um, and then trying to minimize the same mistakes that led you to fail when you get that next crack at it. Um, you know, it, it, it takes all those things, but it's, it's not just, there's no magic wand. It's not going to magically happen. Um, and it, it's, and, and it's going to feel like work. I mean, even the, the coolest jobs that I do that I think are really cool and I think are really fun. There's a lot of work that goes into all those things. So I think, I think young people that are just looking to follow their passions or follow their dreams, once they figure out that it feels like work and that it's hard, um, they may get discouraged and they may say, well, this isn't for me because it's not fun all the time. I think right. there's a mistake. You know, I, I, I think you got to dig in there deep and, and you got to, you got to keep at it. And, and you can't make the mistake of thinking if it feels like work, it's not what my true goal is. It's not what my true passion is, you know, because work is work, you know, <laughs> it, yeah. it always, no matter what job you're doing, work is work. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I am so glad that you've been like one of that you're one of my first three guests because um, that's exactly what this show really is all about. It's about, you know, like who you are when you are taking those steps. I mean, like, yes, you are, you know, you've founded this company and yes, it is doing very well, but at the same time, you're not just sitting on it. You're not just going like, all right, everybody else do what you got to do and everything. I'm just going to go ahead and put my feet up and um, start rolling in the profits. You know, like that's not, what you're doing at all like you are constantly like you said you're always in the car you are going from place to place you're always going out there you're getting word out more and more and more about what it is that you're doing and that's exactly why I wanted to bring you in to this show because you are a perfect example of what an Excelsior journey is all about because I mean just like the name itself like Excelsior Excelsior the word itself means onward and upward to greater glory. And, you know, that means that you are constantly moving to better yourself, better everything around you. And that's exactly what it is that, you know, that you're doing, what Lynn Acre Media is doing. And that's, you know, that's re that really is what gets me, you know, and I know exactly what you mean regarding, uh, regarding work, because just a few months ago um, was when I put the finishing touches on my latest book, Ever Upward. Um, which is part two of the Excelsior journey. And the, um, and yeah, I mean, I will, I will definitely not be the first to say just how much of a pain rewriting is, you know, how much of a pain editing is, but it's so necessary because you are just, you're going to kick yourself if you don't do these necessary steps, if you don't do that work that you were, that you were talking about. If you just, if I just quit, you know, because it was getting hard, then that book would never see the light of day. You know, it's the same thing as every every project that you're doing and everything that you are encouraging 
to all of the up and comers, you know, like to, to not take this lightly, to be serious about it and be prepared to do a lot of work. Like that's something that people really need to hear. Yeah, work can be fun. I mean, for me, work is fun, but it's but it, it's definitely work. It's not you know, it's not eating ice cream. It's not it's not uh, riding a roller coaster. It's it's not you know uh, you know having a beer and cheering for the Yankees unless I'm getting paid to do that at that particular moment. Right. Uh, you know, work work is work. There's there's something different there. I think there's a lot of Instagram philosophers and social media CEOs that that want to be the boss without realizing that being the boss is is also being the janitor, you know, it's also being the custodian, it's cleaning up all the messes. Sometimes yeah. you make the mess, sometimes somebody else makes the mess, but it's your job to clean it up. Some people want to be an Instagram CEO and have all the glory and not have to deal with like the banking and the taxes and all the paperwork yeah. that you have to fill out when, you know, when you're, when you're employing people. Some people, you know, see, you know, your example of, of being a book author and think that it's about wearing a, Wearing a, an ascot and a jacket with elbow patches and drinking wine and you know, stuff like that. Mind you, I like wine, you know, like, but you know, still, yeah. Yeah, but they don't see that you have to go through all those rewrites and that you have to edit. And sometimes you got to take the time to edit carefully. And then sometimes you got to put it down, walk away from it, come yeah. back to it tomorrow, or you know, just to make sure that you're being thorough enough and detailed enough that your mind's not wandering. Those is not a lot of people see that sort of thing. Some people. You know, it's kind of funny. I posted a, a voiceover job. Uh, it wasn't particularly high paying and it wasn't particularly interesting, but it was a paying voiceover job. And right. I needed 50 people to get it done. And I probably got responses from 400. Wow. You know, and what at, at the end of the day, you know, all these 400 people said they were in, say they wanted to do it. I would like to get paid just, you know, just for reading or just for the use of my voice or just for whatever that that's the common response. I was one of those 400 too, you know, like, um, and unfortunately I wound up, you know, not being able to do it, but right, uh, for, for, I was interested. You know. there, there's a lot of different reasons, legitimate and otherwise, but, but for, you know, 400 divided by 50 is, I mean, you don't, you don't get to the hall of fame with those kind of, hmm. with that kind of actual return. You know right. what I mean? Like you don't, we got the project on, um, you know, it took some poking and prodding and, like I said, it wasn't a particularly interesting project, but it was a paying one. It was it was one that was a bit of a pain in the butt, and you had to grind it out and get it done and get a check, and that's what we did, and that's you know, and everybody got paid. But uh, a lot of people don't see that. A lot of people think everything you know that everything's glamorous and glorious, and they don't understand that it's you know that that you got to roll your sleeves up like any other job and get in there and and get it done. Absolutely, absolutely. Execution so. is execution is the most important part. Right. <laughs> So the, um, so you're doing the, um, to rewind just a little bit, you know, like you're doing the St. John's games, you know, like, and you're doing those at Madison Square Garden, correct? Yeah, well, I, I was during my time at St. John's for yeah, sure. So like what's, so tell us about that moment. You know, like you are, you, you are literally in the world's most famous arena and you get to get behind the mic in the well, booth. So it, that's, that's another, that's about getting ready and, and staying ready and, you know, being ready when the moment arrives. So the first time that I announced at Madison Square Garden was, it was an emergency. It was out of necessity, of course. Um, I think a lot of people have stories like this. Um, so I was in the back getting ready to do, uh, getting ready for, uh, it was the 2K Sports Classic at the Garden. Um, the four teams were Maryland, my former school, St. John's, my current school, Texas, with Kevin Durant as a freshman, mm -hmm. that was the only year he played college basketball. Oh wow! And Michigan State, which was a it was a the Drew Neitzel, one of the Drew Neitzel Michigan State. So I'm in the back on the second day of the tournament. We had um, we had lost to uh, Maryland, and we were going to play Texas in the consolation game, and then Maryland was going to play Michigan State in the championship game. And I'm in the back about ten minutes before tip off, and I walk out to my spot to, you know, check on the scorer's table and get ready and sit in my seat next to the bench and, uh, you know, and do the media relations stuff during the game. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I'm walking out, you know, I see the PA announcer with like his kind of his hands up motioning to his throat. And the person that supervises them at Madison Square Garden has been there forever and ever. Josephine Trina says to me in her thick Staten Island accent, Kenny can't go tonight. You're going to have to step in. 
you always <laughs> talk about how you can do this. Can you really do this? So that is spot on, Josephine. If anybody knows, she's, a, she's an amazing, amazing woman, an institution at Square Garden. So I barely had time to think about it. She was like, sit down. You got to go in 10 seconds. You know, so I got one of my assistants, Dustin. I said, Dustin, you got to do my job during the game today, which, of course, he was ready for, when, you know, no problem. Right. Um, you know, so he's down the end of the bench. And I wheeled around in the chair and said, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. Oh, I and got chills from that. No, like, that's just that right there. Yeah, it was off and running. So the first game that I announced was actually St. John's against Texas at the Garden. The place was packed for the, uh, you know, one of those early season tournaments. Um, we end up, uh, Kevin Durant hung 37 points on us. And mm-hmm. we end up losing, we had a, uh, Anthony Mason's son, Anthony Mason Jr. had a shot at the buzzer that would have upended Texas and uh, just hit off the iron and, and was out. And one of my mentors, Gary Williams, is a Hall of Fame basketball coach at Maryland. He's got a reputation for being really, really tough, and he was tough. Challenged us every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gary and I have had a really great relationship, uh, you know, for many, many years now. I still talk to him every couple of weeks. He comes out of the locker room while I'm announcing the game. He's going to play Michigan State in the championship. And he comes out while I'm announcing Maryland, Michigan, Maryland, and, and Texas. And he taps me on the shoulder and he goes, "What are you doing?" Yeah. And I was like. I was like, oh, coach, the, the announcer got hurt, you know, uh, has laryngitis or whatever, can't go. So I'm doing the game. He goes, Mark, you're announcing at Madison Square Garden right now. And I said, yeah. And I said, coach, what are you doing outside the locker room? Because he never came out early. He always came out like two minutes before the, the buzzer, you know, because he was kind of getting ready for the game and yeah. kind of trying to calm his nerves. So he came out. It was, it was like a proud, um, proud dad moment for oh. Coach Williams. You know, coming out and seeing one of his guys doing something, you know, that, that he knew that we could do the entire time, but, uh, but never expected that sort of thing. And then Maryland beat Michigan State in the championship. So I was, you know, I was super happy. It was a great day. It was unbelievable. And then now I've been an announcer at Madison Square Garden for like 14 years, you know, doing different events, doing boxing, doing some basketball. I've done one Knicks game, Knicks versus Sixers a couple of Easters ago. Oh, wow. uh, I worked for the Westchester Knicks regularly, the G League team, uh, not at the garden, but at the Westchester County Center. So right. I'm involved with the Knicks. I'm, you know, whatever. I, somebody gets hurt or injured or whatever on the announcing side, I uh, get called up to the show, you know. Same yeah. thing at the stadium, same thing for the Giants. I did a, recently did my first Giants game at MetLife Stadium. Now, uh, that is that is something, as soon as you said that, when uh, you made the announcement that you were doing that back in August for the, um, it was uh, Giants-Browns, right, the preseason game? Yeah, that was Saquon Barkley's debut. It was Eli's return, and it was Baker Mayfield's debut, and HBO Hard Knocks was there. So it wasn't just a conventional uh, <laughs> zero-win team against a four-win team or whatever right. from the season before. Um, yeah, and, and that was a good time. And I was a little nerve-wracking because my wife, Kristen, was two days from our due date at that point. So Never a dull moment, right? <laughs> part of part of my deal with the Giants, I said, "Listen, we got to be able to park." I said, "Kristen has to come because I'll be a wreck if she's home and and I'm over. I'm with you guys." Yeah. And we got to. You, I had been in their their booth before, you know, to learn from um from the great Jim Hall, who took over for Bob Shepard, right? Um, and passed away a couple of years ago, and the great Gordon Deal, who's their current announcer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does the Giants and he does Army football, and he's fantastic. Really? So I needed to learn. And so I sat in there. So I knew that there was room for Kristen to come and sit. And I said, we need a real close parking space to the stadium just in case. Mm-hmm. And maybe a state trooper back through the Lincoln Tunnel to NYU just in case we need it. Right. Uh, I'm not going to say that they complied with all of my requests, but, uh, <laughs> but they hit most of them. And, and uh, my son wasn't born for two weeks after that anyway, oh, much to his mother's chagrin. But. Um, Still, you, if you weren't ready, if you weren't prepared like that, then it's very likely something was going to happen. That's just the way, just the way things go, you know. But yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way we go. And that's as I'm getting to know my son over the past five weeks. That's the uh, expect the unexpected is has been the theme. So we're having a good I, time. As a, as a father of a of a new daughter and everything, yeah, I can definitely say expect the unexpected. It's been. Um, quite a uh, quite a chore just to you know get our schedules locked up in some way that we can actually have this interview you know so um, you know two new fathers you know like we we figured it out 
you know, the, um, but we finally made it happen. So tell yeah, us. Have, um, just, just as an aside, I have an absolute, I've been a teamwork guy. Sports has taught me teamwork, you know, from, from when I was really, really, you know, really, really little, really, really young all yeah. the way through to now. And I can tell you that parenting at least for the first five weeks of it, is all about teamwork. And I have an incredible, incredible best teammate I've ever had. And my wife, Kristen, she's a superstar. She's unbelievable. Um, she's, a, she's a great, she's been, uh, she was a great, great girlfriend, great fiance, uh, amazing wife and just incredible mother. And she's, she's been awesome. Best teammate. She's, she's outstanding. And, and I'll, you know, easily uh, say the same for Cheryl. Um, she is, you know, it's been, um, this November will be 11 years that we've been married and it's been just an amazing ride. And she is, uh, she has been uh, the best possible partner that I could, uh, that I could ask for. And she is, she is um, just an absolutely incredible mother. Um, You can just tell that she was, she was, she was born, she was born to do this. Like she was, um, and, you know, huge shout out to my, to my mother-in-law, Patty, because, um, without her assistance and, you know, with her constantly like, you know, keeping watch over Scarlett and everything while we're at work, I honestly don't know what we would have, what, what we would have done. Um, so yeah, you, you got a great team. I got a great team and, uh, and we got some, uh, we got some terrific kids that were, that were, uh, bringing up into this world. So I'm really hoping that, once they uh, once they get a little bit older, they'll be able to listen to a show like this, and you know get uh, start getting their dreams in order. Start figuring out what uh, what they eventually would like to would like to conquer in the in the world. We're um what do you call it? We're eleven and or ten and a half years away from eleven years, but, but yeah. uh, we're we're on our way. We're having a good time. Exactly, exactly, and uh, yeah. So um so yeah so. You were talking about uh, you're talking about MetLife Stadium and everything. Like, what, um, what, how did you come across uh, getting that kind of a gig? I mean, it's it's preseason, but at the same time, you know, it's NFL, and that's you know, you want to talk about main event level right there. Yeah, and I I've been really fortunate. I'll be honest that you know I've, I've worked really hard, but of course there's you know there's a great deal of good fortune that has to be involved in in anybody's journey. Um, you know, no matter where they're at and you, you, you keep climbing and you keep striving, you keep grinding and you keep going. But, um, so I've, I've been fortunate enough to announce at Yankee stadium. I do soccer there for our MLS team, New York city football club. Um, I've announced at Madison square garden, obviously just a, a number of times, college basketball, pro basketball, boxing, and, uh, <laughs> some other special events, not the dog show or anything like that yet. But, right. You know, some, sometime, someday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you gotta work your way and, up to that, you know. Just... You know, and and I've I've announced at City Field, um, I've announced at Barclays Center, and uh, you know, and now at MetLife Stadium. So I think I've hit all the major never. And oh, and I did World Team Tennis once over at the Tennis Center, not Arthur Ashe Stadium, but uh, but but I've been over that way. So nice. a lot of the major venues in New York, um, you know, I've I've managed to to hit for the cycle, and I've been very very fortunate, but. It's all, you know, it, it's all about the hard work and it's all about relationships and, and, um, and sometimes being in the right place at the right time. So the Giants director of video production sees, oversees all of their event presentation as well. So same person that oversees their radio broadcast, same person that oversees their, the, the Giants own television broadcast, which, you know, the NFL owns a lot of it, but in the preseason, you know, and on the web and, you know, yeah. pregame, halftime, postgame social media programming, anything digital. Uh, there's a man named Don Sperling, and he's been a friend and colleague for a long time. Uh, you know, St. John's guy that I met, we got closer, I think, through the St. John's experience, you know, bringing those guys over, you know, and to, to talk to some of our, our student athletes. And then, of course, you know, having them as our guests at games and stuff. But I, where Don and I met each other was, you know, we had some, we were using similar technologies. We were building out, our TV and streaming platforms, him for the Giants and me at St. John's. So we spoke on some panels at the National Association of Broadcasters Convention in Vegas uh, a couple times. Knew each other through then. You know, um, you know, this is something else for young people. Networking is not like, uh, you know, emailing your resume or connecting on LinkedIn or, 
or uh, going to cocktail parties and getting completely bombed and not remember anything, right. making, making a, uh, that kind of impression on people that you, that you meet. Uh, although there are aspects of all of those things that have to do with networking. But uh, yeah, I mean, Don and I, we met because we were speaking on the same panel uh, at NAB. We stayed in touch. I mean, the staying in touch thing is, is key. I mean, and you can't force it. You know, it's got to be something that kind of comes naturally. But, you know, we've been in touch for all these years. We've worked together on all these years. You know, we've seen, um, you know, he's seen, I, I've seen his family grow up, you know, on Facebook and, and in real life. And then, uh, you know, he's certainly seen, uh, you know, uh, Chris and I getting together and getting married and the, the arrival, the buildup and the arrival to uh, young Jackson Lewis over here. So, um, you know, I mean, that's that's networking. I mean, that's that's the way. It's, it's easier than ever to network, but you got to make sure that there's, you know, there's some real life to it too. It's not just the, you know, your resume and my resume are friends on LinkedIn, you know, right. and, and it's not, you know, again, it's not, uh, you know, doing four tequila shots, like it's a college reunion, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not the type of thing that you got to do, you know, yeah. you, you got to, got to figure out how to network and figure out who's going to, who's going to, who are you going to work with, you know, and, and during your work experience professionally. It's going to recommend you to that next person. It's going to recommend you to that next level. And that's the sort of thing that happened. You know, I did a, did a couple of college games at St. John, you know, at the garden for St. John's. And then that led me to Yankee stadium. That led me to MetLife stadium. That led me to, uh, to boxing it at the garden, the big room, you know, it's, uh, it's led to, to every other opportunity. Again, it's been a stepwise process, you know, not a man. I can't wait to be the Yankees announcer someday. It's been, you know, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do that. Now I'm the soccer announcer at Yankee Stadium, and maybe someday the Yankees. Never know. Yeah, like that's that's so cool. As, as soon as I saw that you were doing that, I was just I I I was freaking out, and I was just like, okay, we definitely need to t- need to talk about this when we finally have our interview. Um, that that was unbelievable fun. I mean, I know you you love the Giants, uh, and and I I I'm a a big fan. You know, for uh, you know, for for a really long time, but. That was that was super cool. It was super fun. That's that's so that's so awesome. And um, like we were saying before, this is the second time around that we were able to actually like get in front of, of microphones and start having this this interview. The first time around when we did it, um, uh, we were I was you know in my studio downstairs, and you were in your car on the way over to NASCAR, and I believe that was your fourth. NASCAR that you were doing? Yeah, yeah, I've done uh, the races at Pocono the last couple of years, and so actually, that, the, so, so that was comes that part from of the whole thing. Like, um, was that part of the whole networking thing? Like, or was there like a different venue that? Uh... That comes from my days of being a part of the Army Athletics family. I mean, that that's that that's it in a nutshell, right there. It's I was when I was eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one years old. I was a volunteer intern at West Point, getting experience and building those relationships, and then. One of the guys that worked in that office later on, you know, we all stay in touch with each other. Some of the, the full-timers are still there and have been there for many, many years. So, you know, we all stay in touch and we all, you know, we see each other at conferences or conventions and we all, you know, we, we keep those relationships uh, alive, you know, we keep them, keep them burning. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I met uh, a great guy who, uh, who's sadly deceased, you know, young and way before his time. Um, but he was part of the Army Athletics family. I was too. And when he uh, got out of college athletics and and started working at Pocono, he brought me on to be the announcer over there. And like I said, he's uh, I'm indebted to him. Um, just an unbelievable human being. Uh, so loved by everyone. Uh, great sense of humor. And sadly, we lost him uh, at the end of last summer, about this time last year, probably. Wow. Uh, and he, he just, we, we had that great relationship and he brought me over. And then, uh, you know, he's, like I said, he's he's passed on. But um, the relationships that he helped me build over there, you know, brought me back this summer, you know, even though he's gone from us. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's a small example. So what was it like, like getting behind the mic for like your first NASCAR. Like, so that's, NASCAR, that's NASCAR is kind of interesting because I'm um, I'm not a NASCAR expert by any means. Uh, it's not something that I'm naturally a fan of. I've gotten to know a little bit more about it, you know, since I got involved over there. But um, 
you know, that's 160,000 people, you know, that are hearing your voice come through the speakers there. So, um, that, that obviously there, there can be some nerves involved there, but again, you know, all the little, the St. Mary's church first Friday readings led to, you know, our lady of Lords readings led to our lady of Lords announcing, which led to Geneseo announcing, which led to, uh, Maryland announcing, which led to St. John's announcing, which led to Madison Square Garden, Yankee Stadium, Giant Stadium, NASCAR Pocono. So if, uh, if I was just some guy that does the readings in church, then maybe I wouldn't have been ready for 160,000 people. But all those little steps along the way, you know, they, they make you ready. Yeah. Help you stay ready. Help you get ready. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's your training ground. You know, that's, it's basically like what it's, uh, what it's been for all those years. So, um, um, so, Take us over to, you know, like you, you, you know, you're, you've done uh, your work in Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, there's obviously MetLife and, you know, there's NASCAR, Yankee Stadium, you know, like all these Barkley Center, everything you were talking about, like all these great venues. But then you got the middle of the boxing ring. Now, that's a whole different type of animal that you're, that you're, that you're working with there. Um, so t- tell us about, you know, like how you were able to kind of get, going with that and tell us about the that first time when you got to actually announce a fight well I, so i i just decided um after you know having announced all these other things that i wanted to try boxing i thought you know you're not entirely ugly so maybe it would be okay if some people saw your face while you're announcing sometimes right so um you know but there you know again you have this this goal or this dream that you want to be a boxing announcer or whatever. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I had the benefit of having announced at Madison Square Garden, of having announced at Yankee Stadium. And, you know, so I had those things on my resume, but I started right back where anybody else would start in the amateurs. I went to my gym, Leeson's gym in Brooklyn, uh, and I met with the owner and I said, hey, I want to be a boxing announcer. Do you guys have any amateur fights or any sparring coming up or anything like that where I can get myself on video and I can – you know, try to volunteer and do some stuff for free and maybe give you guys a little benefit and, uh, you know, and get myself on tape so I can check myself out. I can practice my craft and I can hopefully use it to, to help market myself and, and get some, some pro gigs. Mm-hmm. So he gave me that opportunity. I did a, you know, I did 17 amateur fights, USA boxing Metro against a club team that came over from Ireland. And uh, that was my first taste of amateur boxing. And then uh, from there, I was kind of addicted. I was kind of hooked from the beginning. So yeah. then um, through our television production side of things, uh, I landed a gig at the baseball stadium that I announced at in Coney Island. Mm-hmm. We were going to do a show for ESPN3. And I said, as part of the deal, I have to be the ring announcer or your price goes up. So oh, nice. they wrote me in to do that. And then from there... I had been asked a year earlier if I had any interest in doing it at the garden. They basically said like, you're a, you know, you're a ham. We'd love to get you in to do, you know, do that sort of thing. We think you'd really be into it. And there's not a whole lot of reliable people around here that do that sort of thing. So let's check it out. And I said, okay, no problem. So on fight week Tuesday, I'm at the men's warehouse. I didn't own a tuxedo at the time. And I'm trying to like four years ago, I'm trying to rent a tuxedo and I get, I hear my phone buzzing on the bench at the men's warehouse, literally in my underoos. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, my boss from Madison Square Garden. This is not Josephine from Staten Island. This is Sal. Sal says, you know, hey, unfortunately, the promoter brought an undercard announcer with him. You know, that the main announcer was going to be Michael Buffer. This was Gennady Golovkin. Yeah. Uh, you know, just lost his world championship belts to Canelo. Gennady Golovkin against Daniel Giel. And Michael Buffer, I was like, oh, it's going to be so cool. I get to announce with Michael Buffer, wear a tuxedo, stand in the middle of the ring, 22,000 fans, mm-hmm. HBO pay-per-view, undercards, not on pay-per-view. But, you know, yeah. I thought it was going to be so cool. So he goes, yeah, they brought in an undercard announcer. We don't need you anymore. So oh. I was literally fired in my underpants in the men's warehouse, changing room for the uh, <sighs> sucks for the first, <laughs> first one. But Sal said, get yourself on tape and – get back to me and like the next time I'll put you forward for this. So that's what I did. I went that next summer, I started announcing the amateurs, got myself on tape, used that in, in our TV production service to uh, get involved in that ESPN three show, the Brooklyn Brawl live from Coney Island. And then 
my second pro show was 22,000 seats, mostly empty at Madison Square Garden at, you know, six o'clock for the early fights on Golovkin versus David Lemieux. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did four fights there. I got to work with the Golden Boy team and with uh, K2 Promotions, Triple G Promotions, and Tom Loeffler, who uh, promotes Gennady Golovkin. And I get, I got to, uh, got to meet those guys. Mm-hmm. And they said, wait, we don't know you. You know, we've been in boxing a long time. And I said, well, I haven't. And they said, well, we think you're pretty good. How would you feel about coming to work for us a little bit? And I said, oh. I said that that would be great. Yeah. So, so instead of like emailing him every day and calling him and like whatever, I just I figured my time would come, and I figured I'd start searching for like some smaller jobs, you know, because you know not everybody gets to just go and start at Madison Square Garden. Obviously, that's a silly thing to assume or of even course. hope for. Yeah. Um, you know, so I started, and I said, you know, I really want to know how the scoring goes. I want to know how. You know, I want to know what happens, you know, so I can think about things. And it's not just reading. Yeah. So I volunteered to do the silver gloves, which is like little kids, like nine to 15, 16 year olds, maybe 18. I don't know. Like little kids, like before the golden gloves, there's the silver gloves. And I all I did 56 fights in Herkimer, New York for like $100 in, in two days in a hotel room. Oh, man. And it was because it was 56 introductions, decisions, introductions, yeah. decisions, introductions, decisions. After that, it was like boot camp. I came out. I really knew how the scoring worked. I knew how, you know, how to read the judges, what's a split decision, unanimous decision, majority mm-hmm. decision, draw, split draw, majority draw, like all the all the different things that the announcer has to know and how to read the scores and how to preserve the drama, Michael Buffer says. You got to preserve the drama. You know, don't give it away before, um, you know, before you need to. So right. everybody, you know, gets to experience the, you know, who won or who lost at the, at the same time. Don't give it away. Yeah. So I learned all those things. It was a good learning experience. And then a couple of weeks later, um, Golden Boy called me and hired me and brought me on again to do undercards for uh, Michael Buffer, but to do the weigh-in and undercards. So that's the way cool. you know, you're putting fighters on the scale. You're introducing them. You know, the main event guys, the HBO guys, the pay-per-view guys included. Um, you're asking them a couple interview questions. You know, for the media in attendance and for the you know, for the live stream of the way in, you know, so you're, that's, that to me is, that's harder stuff, you know, doing, handling that stuff. And, right. you know, it's not as, not as cookie cutter, you know, as the, the actual fight intros, although the fights themselves are obviously, that's, that's the show. That's what everybody wants to see. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So doing that stuff and, and, and it got to be cool. And like I said, I was hooked from, I was hooked from the beginning and it was all I could do to get more boxing gigs. Uh, I've been very fortunate three, Three years and change now in boxing to to have done a lot of really cool stuff, um, which 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 I've been lucky. I've been lucky, but yeah. part of that luck is you know again you got to dial it way back. St. Mary's to Lords to Geneseo to Army to Maryland to St. John's to the Garden to Yankee Stadium to Giant Stadium to Pocono. That all that stuff helped me be ready to you know to be able to get in there and and do that and try to advance uh, do as well as I could. As fast as I could and, and advance as quickly as I could as well. Yeah. If, you're, if you're starting from zero, it's a lot harder. You know, if you're starting from somewhere, it's a little bit easier. So, um, so keeping that in mind, for our listeners that are out there, and I hope there are many, um, the, um, if they are just kind of like getting their feet wet in this sort of venue, um, obviously they can't go all the way back to, you know, their grade school time and then, you know, try to enroll into a Catholic school and, you know, work, work their yeah. way up that way. Um, but um, not to say that there is any sort of like shortcut or anything like that, because that's not what we're, that's not what we're pushing. That's not, that's definitely not what you're condoning. But um, for anyone who, if you, you know, kind of hear their voice and just say that, you know, like, Hey, you know, that might be along the lines of what this, you know, sport or that sport or, you know, this particular, you know, location or anything would be looking for. Um, what do you have as like a, as a, as a tip and everything to say to that person? So everybody that's, uh, so I, I do so much production. It's almost silly to even use this word, but anybody that's talent, um, needs to have a reel. So you got to do what you can do to develop that reel and build that, build that reel up. So the way that that happens is you have to go to a place that you can where during a time where you're able to volunteer and get experience, hone your craft, sharpen your tools, 
and yeah. get yourself on tape. Um, and, and that's, that's how you start your reel. And then as you, you know, get more experience and continue to progress and hopefully start earning some small paychecks, which lead to mediums, which lead to mediums, which lead to, you know, bigger ones. Right. Um, you're improving your reel as you go. You're improving your tape as you go. So that's, that's what you got to do. And, and there's a, there's a bell curve as well. Someday they'll tell me just like when I was a player. Okay. Listen, you're 75, you know, God willing, you're 76, you're 72, you're 80 or whatever. And you're, it's time for you to, you know, kind of step down and let somebody else take a chance. Right. Um, you know, I'll go back. I tell Kristen all the time, like when I'm an old man, I'll play some golf and, and I'll go announce at the local high schools or whatever, you know, just like I did when I was in high school. Yeah. So, um, you know, so if you're somebody that wants to be an announcer, there's a lot of different games. Even if you're somebody that wants to be a broadcaster, a lot of people call me and ask how to become a broadcaster, like an on-air talent. There's yeah. more games now in high school and college that are being streamed than ever before. You know, so sometimes that results in lower budgets and lower paychecks, but there definitely oh, results in more, more opportunities. Yeah. So you got to go out there, find a place where you can get in and where you can volunteer, whether it's a local high school, call a high school athletic director, whether it's a JUCO or a division three school or a division two school, call the sports information director at those schools. See if you can volunteer a little bit and get started. And if you can't do football or basketball, you can do volleyball or field hockey or something like that. And That's, yeah, and get yourself going that way. Get yourself on tape. Get yourself a reel, and and try to keep on. That's that's your first step, you know. And then then keep on. Try to try to keep climbing. Try to go to a bigger school or try to go to a bigger sport or a better attended sport or something that's you know on TV or on on a better stream with a bigger audience or you know eventually a better network. And you keep moving up and up and up and up and up until you're Jim Lampley or until you're Al Michaels <laughs> or until you're Michael K. You know. Uh, Bob Shepard or Mike Walseski for the Knicks or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Gordon at the Giants. Yeah. Keep going and, and keep doing it that way. You got to keep getting yourself on tape over and over and over again. Getting your, having a reel as a, a broadcaster or as an announcer is kind of like, um, freshman biology class for pre-meds, right? Yeah. Like they have you in that freshman biology class. You're in a big lecture hall with 400 other people. And they're trying to see if you can hack it, if you can make it. They want to weed you out, eliminate the first, you know, 300 people out of that 400, you mm -hmm. know? So if you're like, hey, I want to be a broadcaster. I got a great voice. I really love sports. Hey, can you send me your reel? Well, I don't have a reel. Well, you're a hobbyist then. You're an amateur. Yeah. All right. You're not a professional. You're automatically disqualified. Uh, Get off my lawn. Right. You know, what? <laughs> they're, they're, you know they're, they're just, they're trying to weed, weed you out at that point because there's, you know, there's a lot of people that, Turns out a lot of people want to be sportscasters. So that's yeah, and and, and people just aren't you know like they're either not serious about it or they just don't know you know like what uh, what steps to take. So I really hope that um, you it's know, like when you voice, voice a voiceover job and fifty people actually get it done out of four hundred. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so we're just about to uh, time to wrap up. So um, is there anything that you would like to plug? Since uh, just remember this is going out on October 9th. So anything that's happening, you know, after that, that's going on. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, there's, there's always stuff happening. You can follow me at Mark Fratto on Instagram. Um, and you can follow Lineker media on Facebook or, um, you know, or Instagram or Twitter to find out what the latest goings on are in my company. I, I'll say the being a, being a business owner, the, my favorite part, we didn't really touch on, we talked a lot about announcing, which is one aspect of what we do. Like I said, there's the live event production for TV and streaming. There's, uh, you know, the, the PR and marketing stuff that we do and the voiceover stuff. But my favorite day, uh, you know, is, 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 uh, having and, and having this company for four years is payroll day. Mm -hmm. And I tell my dad, who's an entrepreneur that all the time, he thinks I'm a little crazy. I tell my wife that as well, because on payroll day, that means that we're sending out checks to people that help build our company, helped us run events, helped us produce events. Yeah. And of course, we're making a profit and keeping some of the money um, to use for, to pay for our lives and well, pay tax, yeah. stuff like that. But we're also like, we're employing people. You know, we, we're employing 10 people. We're employing 20 people. We're one day, a couple days, we've employed like in the 70s, you know, wow. doing three or four different events in, in different cities and at different times and different time zones on different platforms. Um, and that's, that's the best thing for me about being, uh, being a, a, a real life 
custodian, janitor, CEO, whatever you want to call it, is, is that we get to bring so many people, a lot of them are young people, we get to give them their first chance, we get to give them their, their first opportunity um, you know, to earn a check or, or, or at least earn a check in something that they're passionate, something that they love. Uh, I got a, a, a funny, I think it was slightly drunken text from one of our former uh, production assistants in the, the mid-Atlantic area who was working for us in the NBA G League uh, with the Delaware 87ers, the Sixers affiliate, and went on and, and now has an Eagles Super Bowl ring because he was on the video staff uh, last year. You know, and it was a really heartfelt, if not slightly inebriated text that was like, thank you for giving us, giving all of us young guys, and especially me, an like the first opportunity for consistent work. Um, you know, the checks weren't huge, and it wasn't a full-time job, and you know, but – it was the first opportunity for, for me to really develop, for me to really have responsibility, um, for me to understand what it takes to work as part of a team in this sort of setting. And now, you know, we got our rings tonight, and I just want to let you know that. And I took a look at it, and I, uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was a pretty awesome text. So that's my favorite part about being a business owner. The TV aspect is, is awesome because of that, that same spirit of teamwork that you learn when you're in Little League you know, extends to these live events today when we're all doing TV production, you know, on events where I'm announcing or not. So uh, it's a, that's a cool thing. That's, that's one aspect that we didn't really get to touch on. Glad you gave me a chance to. But, you know, at, at the same time, like I, you know, like, um, you know, this, this show, I intend to keep the show going. So I uh, would love to have you back on in the future so we can talk about that, you know, that element of it. Because I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of people that are going to be, um, that are going to be just as enthralled with this interview as I have been and will want to hear more about what Lynn Acre Media does, um, all the great bells and whistles that go into it and everything, and, and the, um, just the amazing you know, job that you've been doing so far. So um, I say this, to, I say this to, my, to my listeners. I really hope that you got as much out of this, out of this discussion as I did. By all means, listen to those mentors that are pointing you in this particular direction. They know what they're talking about. And obviously, you want to listen to your passions. You want to listen to your heart. But at the same time, you want to be prepared to do all of these great steps over and over and over again. You'll have to deal with a whole lot of pitfalls and a lot of, set, you know, a lot of setbacks and a lot of successes, a lot of failures and everything, but you just got to keep going. That's what Mark is doing. That's what I hope all of you are doing with your passions. So huge thanks to Mark Fraddle for joining us uh, for this episode. And for all of you out there, I hope you just keep on listening. This is George Saroy saying to you, ever upward. 